Good morning, everybody. Hope I'm finding the middle of a fantastic day. And today we are continuing in our series through the Bible. This isn't an in-depth series. This is a survey series. And we are in the book of Judges this week. We've covered the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. We talked about the book of Joshua last week, the week before that, depending on which podcast you first listened to it on. You are now listening to this. Uh, this is the first new episode that is exclusively on the new podcast, Faith's Journey. Welcome you to it and hope you enjoy it. Now, the book of Judges this week is one of the books of history. So it's a little more action-packed, right? The author of the book of Judges is actually a matter of some debate. Uh, Jewish belief is that the author of the book of Judges was Samuel. Uh, it could have been any of a number of people, uh, except that it could have been anybody in the beginning of the book. It had to be somebody toward the end, somebody with a highlight on history, because there is a lot of uh, time covered in this book. For example, the date of the book of Judges is between 1044 and 1000 BC, and it covers 450 years of history. So it would have to be somebody looking back on 450 years of history. Samuel seems to be a pretty good fit to me. The theme of the book of Judges is failure through compromise. Failure uh, through compromise. In chapter 1, we see an apathy. Now, apathy, for those of you who don't know, is a sort of a lackadaisical, not quite lazy attitude, but lazy-ish. And uh, what it means is in chapter 1, which we'll talk about here in a minute, Israel decides not to finish driving out the inhabitants of the land. They decide Joshua and his generation, they did enough, and they're just going to set up camp from here. They're tired of trying to drive out the rest of the inhabitants. They're just going to learn to live with it. And that is an apathetic attitude. It's uh, apathy. It's lackadaisical. It's, I don't feel like doing the work anymore, so I'm just not going to do it. I don't feel like cleaning my room, so I'm just going to live in the mess, right? I don't feel like doing the project all the way, so I'm going to leave it halfway done and just decide that's good enough. This sort of an attitude speaks of a greater problem. This sort of an attitude speaks of a problem within. It also speaks of a problem that Israel has shown time and time again that they have. Uh, it, it's a problem of self-pity, and it's a problem of a lack of motivation. Many times, not always, it's a sign that you don't believe in yourself. It's a sign that you don't think you can do it. You think, I can't do all of this, so why should I even bother trying? It's a bit like if you went into your room and your room was absolutely trashed. It was messy. Maybe it's not dirty. There's not like dirty stuff everywhere, but it's so cluttered. Blankets on the floor, pillows and clothes and wires and electronic stuff all over the place. And it's just so overwhelming. We've all been here before where you think, oh my gosh, I just can't do this. And so you get to the point 
where you decide, I can't do this, so I'm not even going to try. I'm going to leave this for another day. And it begins to get worse and worse to the point where when you do finally decide to do it, it's twice as bad as it would have been if you'd have just done it on that first day. But this uh, apathy stems from something. This lackadaisical attitude, and a lot of times it stems from a lack of confidence. Or it stems from mental abuse. And yes, mental abuse is a thing. Mental abuse can cause you to doubt yourself as well. If somebody's constantly telling you you can't do something or they treat you like you can't do something, like you're constantly needing help for everything, you're eventually going to start to believe you can't do anything and you need help for everything. It starts to lead people to get frustrated when they fail because they feel like all the eyes are on them and everybody already feels like they can't do anything for themselves. And so it just begins to compound and add on. And so this apathetic attitude can be a sign of many different things like we've talked about. This is what Israel was dealing with, their apathy. They decided they either couldn't do it or wouldn't do it. And so they just decided to leave the Canaanites and all the otherites in the land it would be a plague to them throughout their entire history. We see as far as King Solomon continuing to deal with the Canaanites. So, uh, so failure through compromise. That, ap that apathy leads to apostasy. It leads to worshiping of false gods, even. It leads to these other cultures influencing Israel to not just include their cultural ideas, but their other gods as well, they begin to worship these other false gods. They begin to worship Baal. They begin to worship Ashtaroth. They begin to worship all of these terrible false gods who people have created for worship. The two great truths evident in times of judgment that we see in the book of Judges are these two things. Number one, the recurring sinfulness of man. Uh, that is, of mankind. We as human beings can grow and we can repent of our sins and we can outgrow them to the point where we learn not to do them anymore. We can constantly grow and get better and become better disciples and better Christians. But the recurring sinfulness of man in this cycle of judges is one of the great truths that are evident in the time of judgment. Sometimes God punishes us or allows terrible things to happen in our life to reveal some sort of uh, spiritual dross or impurity shouldn't be in our life. And uh, once we know it's there, we can remove it. But that is an extremely strong Christian that's able to do that. The weak-minded Christian uh, gets mad and just gives up on God altogether. It takes a strong Christian to figure out why God is allowing these things to happen to you and then grow from it. Uh, if you're a weak Christian, you won't do that. And I'm sorry to be so blunt about it, but that's the truth. A weak Christian won't do that. He'll just give up, stop going to church, stop reading his Bible, stop praying, and uh, sit with the rest of his life with his arms folded across his chest with a scowling look on his face. You've seen them. They're the grumpy old men that sit in church and only amen when something negative is said. That's not the Christian way. The Christian way is to take those hard times, learn from them, and become a better Christian. The second great truth evident in times of judgment is the persistent mercifulness of God. That when we go through a hard time, God doesn't allow us to be utterly destroyed, does he? 
He allows us the chance to grow from it, the chance to learn from it. And that in our pain and in our sorrow and in our suffering, that isn't always his fault. Sometimes it's self-inflicted, right? Sometimes it's inflicted by the devil. But in any case, no matter why we're going through it, when we're going through it, we know that God will be there with us. That is another kind of mercifulness. It's a persistent mercifulness from God because he is merciful and he doesn't change. He will always be merciful. So moving on from the theme, we come to the outline of the book of Judges. And this is usually the meat of our podcast here. This is usually our bread and butter right here. We see number one is the introduction to the era of the Judges. This is chapters one and two. In chapter one, we're looking at the condition of the nation after the death of Joshua. And we're basically talking about what we said before in chapter one, how God told them, even though Joshua's gone, and even though that generation has passed, I still want you to finish driving out the inhabitants of the land. And they failed to do so. And it causes great turmoil for them for many, many years, more than just the 450 years covered in this book. Then chapter two, we see that God... Um, begins to explain to us and reveals to us Israel's cycle in the period of Judges in chapter 2. And the cycle of Judges, uh, one of the special features we'll talk about in a little bit, but if you're familiar with this book, you know what it is. Um, basically, Israel sins against the Lord, the Lord punishes them, they repent, they ask for a, a the Lord sends a deliverer, that deliverer delivers them and they get right with God. Uh, and uh, we'll get into the cycling of that in a bit more depth later on because it is important to talk about. Uh, the next section of the book of Judges is the era of the Judges, and that is really the meat of the book, and that's chapters 3 through 16. Uh, we see the first apostasy uh, in Judges 3. They're conquered by Mesopotamia, and they're delivered through Othniel the judge. Uh, the second apostasy, uh, they're conquered by the Moabites and the Philistines, and they are delivered through Ehud and Shamgar, the judges. And that's also chapter 3, verses 12 through 31. The third apostasy uh, is one that I'm going to take a little time and get a little mad about. Uh, the third apostasy is conquered by Jabin, king of Canaan, and they are delivered through Deborah. And it stops there. Barak was not a judge. You go read it for yourself. Barak was not a judge. He was a military leader. He was not a judge. He was not chosen by God. Deborah was chosen by God. You sexist bigots who can't deal with the fact that a woman was in charge when God told her to be and had no man over her, you can get over yourselves, okay? Because the fact of the matter is, is a woman was in charge of the nation. There's nothing wrong with a woman being in charge. There's nothing wrong with a woman uh, holding a position of power and authority. Now, when it comes to pastoring, the Bible says that the, the bishop or pastor must be the husband of one wife. It's awfully hard for a woman to be the husband of one wife. Now, that aside, that is the only time the Bible says that a woman cannot hold a position of authority. Now, some of you guys may take that verse that says, I suffer not a woman to usurp authority over the man. If you look at the reading of that word, that is not a law, that is not a commandment that's being given. It says, I suffer not a woman. In other words, I'm not going to make a woman take a position of authority, he says. That, that's, not, 
a burden that most women are equipped to carry. And if they decide not to carry it, then I'm not going to make them carry it. He says, I suffer not a woman to usurp authority over the man, but that doesn't mean that she's not allowed to. Again, we've taken these verses and tried to make them mean what we want them to mean or what we've always been told they mean. What we need to learn to do is take these verses and ask ourselves, what did they originally mean? Let's take out our Western culture from the matter and look at the thing and say, what does it really mean? We talk about how he is the Lord and he changes not, right? That's what he says. Jesus said, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. Isn't that what God said? Right? So if we see Deborah being a judge in the Old Testament, how is it in the New Testament God's changed his mind and decided women can't be in positions of authority? He has not made that decision. However, the man is the spiritual leader of his house. That doesn't mean a woman can't be a leader of any kind. And a man being a spiritual leader of the house does not give him authority to yell and berate his family and his wife. Deborah is the judge. I'll step off of my soapbox now. That's chapter 4, uh, verse 1, through chapter 5 and verse 31. The fourth apostasy uh, is a conquering by Midian. It's followed by, rather, a, conquered by, a conquering by Midian. Uh, they are delivered through Gideon. Uh, the judge, and that is Judges chapter 6, uh, verse 1, through chapter 8, verse 32. The story of Gideon is a fantastic story. And if you've never read it, first of all, what are you doing with your life? And second of all, go read it. Go read it now. I don't care if you're at work. I don't care. I mean, that's a fantastic story. That's one of the Bible's like most action-packed stories. Right, you've got this guy who starts off with an army he's trying to build to match the army of the Midianites. And he's not there, but he's, you know, got an army you don't sneeze at. Then on the way, God says, oh, your army's too big. I need you to get these people out of here. And God continues to do that until they get there. And they are a dwarf of an army compared to what they're dealing with. And the story and the way it unfolds is just amazing. It's an incredible story. I'd recommend you go read it. Um, a lot of these are really incredible. Uh, Ehud, the judge we talked about in the second apostasy in Judges 3, his story is pretty amazing too. Uh, it talks about, I heard a preacher <laughs> preach a sermon on this one time, and the title of their sermon is, When Lefty Let Fatty Have It. And if that doesn't make you want to go read that story, I don't know what will. Uh, so we just talked about the fourth apostasy, though, with Gideon. The fifth apostasy and civil war uh, was a civil war and uh, was delivered through Abimelech. Uh, Tola and Jair are the next judges uh, that deal with this in Judges 8, uh, uh, verses 33, verse 33, and then through chapter 10 and verse 5. Judges 8, 33 through 10, 5. The sixth apostasy uh, is followed by a conquering of the Philistines and Ammonites. They are delivered through Jephthah, Isbon, Elon, Abdon. I'm sorry, Elon and Abdon. I thought there was another one after that. Uh, that's Judges 10.6 through 12.15. And then the seventh apostasy conquered by the Philistines. 
and they're delivered partially through Samson. And the story of Samson is another one that's incredible, and you may think you know the story of Samson, but you probably don't know the whole story of Samson. There are some cultural things that may shock you when you read this story. Uh, there are some parts of this story where Samson's behavior will probably shock you. Uh, not just the part with Delilah, but uh, even more than that. Even Samson's wisdom at times may seem shocking to you. There's a lot of this story that you're not going to get in children's church. You know, there's a lot of the Bible that you're not going to see in the Precious Moments Bible, you know. Uh, there are some very intense moments. Samson's story is Judges 13 through 16. And Samson is one of the most famous of the judges. And his story is one to learn from, for sure. And then we have the third and final bit of the book of Judges, is the results of the era of the Judges, a time of confusion. And the time of Judges isn't over in the book of Judges. It continues till uh, the first few chapters of the book of First Samuel. Because Samuel was Israel's last judge. Now that is just before they get their first king, King Saul. And so Samuel is kind of demoted by Israel, the people, and he is upset about these things, not for himself, but for God. And the Lord comforts him by saying, they have not rejected you, Samuel, they've rejected me. And there's a whole story behind that with his children and, and their uh, just corruption and sin and Eli's corruption, or the corruption of Eli's children, and their sin. And so it's it's really been a thing that spirals downward, but the end of the book of Judges deals with a few things specifically, and this is chapter 17 through 21. Uh, chapter 17 and 18 deal with religious apostasy, um, the tabernacle and their places of worship and that sort of a thing. Uh, Judges 19 deals with an, a moral awfulness, uh, more like the home life, personal things of that nature. And then chapters 20 and 21 deal with political anarchy and uh, that sort of a thing. And as a matter of fact, um, the books go Joshua, Judges, Ruth. And we will talk about, and I'll sort of uh, tee up the idea for the book of Ruth uh, right here next week because they do sort of bleed in together, uh, timeline-wise. And the Bible talks about how the time where Ruth takes place is a time of complete and total anarchy, where everybody did that which was right in their own eyes. And so that just sort of explains some of the decisions that were made in the, the people that we find in the book of Ruth. But that is the outline for the book of Judges. The key word for the book of Judges is the word delivered. They are constantly being delivered from those people that are taking them captive. The key verse, let me go ahead and pull up real quick, is in our book here, Judges. But it's chapter 17, and it's verse 6, which says, In those days there was no king in Israel, and this is what I was talking about earlier, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. So this isn't the beginning of the book where they're still trying to figure out the judges. This is chapter 17. This is toward the end of the book of Judges, and it's complete and total anarchy. Everybody just does what they think is right. There's no law. There's no set standard. 
and it's a time of confusion and chaos and fear. You think we live in a time of confusion right now? We don't. We live in a time of drama queens. That's the time we live in today. Let me tell you when a time of complete and utter anarchy was. World War One, World War Two. Those were times of complete and total anarchy where all the men were being drafted to war and people were pulling scrap and things so the military could use it for their vehicles and weapons so that we could fight for freedom across the world. That's a time of complete and total anarchy. When a couple of rednecks try to take the capital, that's not anarchy. Okay, I mean, yes, it's a horrible thing that happened and it shouldn't have happened. Uh, whether you're a Democrat, whether you're a Republican, it just shouldn't have happened. But the fact remains, things are not as bad as some people would like for you to believe they are. Guys, let me let you know a little secret. It's going to be okay. Right? I mean, they stopped that raid in a matter of hours. Uh, there, there's nothing to be so scared of in our day and time. The coronavirus is having a vaccine being made for it that's being distributed right now. Things are going to be okay. There's no reason to panic and be afraid so much. God is still on the throne. He's taking care of us. It's going to be all right. We don't live in a time of complete and total anarchy like they did. They literally, at times, Israel had no government. Many times. They had no law. It was absolutely just, if I think it's right, then I'm going to do it. If I don't think it's right, I'm not going to do it. That is anarchy. And that's the key verse for judges. Uh, that was the cycle they found themselves in, and which brings us to our special features. Uh, the sad cycle of the book of Judges is repeated seven times. And it is rebellion, and it's a circle, and so you don't really have a starting point, but this is where we see it start for the first time in the first cycle, is with rebellion. Israel rebels against the Lord, and then there's retribution. God punishes them for their rebellion. He allows these uh, Canaanites and Philistines and Jebusites and Ammonites, all the otherites, to come in and take them prisoner, take them captive, make them slaves. And then in their retribution, they call for repentance. They plead to God to forgive them for their sins. And this isn't an artificial thing. This is genuine repentance. And just because uh, the cycle is repeated doesn't make this step any less genuine. True repentance should be celebrated because it's so rare nowadays. Everybody thinks they're right no matter what. They'll go to their grave never admitting that they were wrong because they feel like they've lost some sort of imaginary gain admitting that they were wrong. And the fact of the matter is, it's far more important to be able to repent of your sins, to say, you know what, I treated them wrong, I did wrong, I said wrong, and I'm sorry for that, and I'm going to try really hard not to do it ever again. There's no shame in that. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of honor in that. we got to learn to do that a little more often. So we see rebellion, retribution, then repentance, and then repentance leads to restoration. God sends that deliverer to redeem them, once they've repented of their sins. This is a picture of uh, salvation. The Lord saving us. But also it's a picture of the Christian life. Because many times the Christian finds themselves in a similar cycle. Where we rebel against the Lord. Uh, we don't worship other false gods perhaps. But we do rebel against the Lord in our own way. 
We bow at the altar of the almighty dollar. Right? We make that more important. We make money more important to us than, than the Lord. Right? We, we decide to solve our problems with lies and deceit. That's rebellion against God. Your sin, no matter what form it takes, is rebellion against God. And then many times our rebellion leads to God punishing us, retribution. Right? And then hopefully that leads us to repentance. Us pleading with God to remove the retribution, to remove the punishment, and then he restores. He restores not only the situation that we found ourselves in, but also the relationship between us and him, which also leads to our last point and the last bit of the circle, which is a time of rest. The time of rest is very, very important because in the time of rest is a time we should be using to grow closer to the Lord, get stronger and prepare for the next spiritual battle coming our way. But unfortunately, what happened for Israel and what happens for a lot of us is we get bored and start causing trouble. Right? That's what people do. That's what Israel did. They got bored, started causing trouble for themselves. Uh, I know a lot of people that get bored and start causing trouble because they're bored. This sad cycle repeats over and over and over again. But then the question becomes, how long and how many times is this sad cycle going to repeat in your life? Are you ever going to stop getting bored and rebelling against God and causing trouble? The second special feature in the book of Judges is the judges, a.k.a. deliverers, because, as I said before, they represent Christ. The judges are listed as followed. Othniel, Jair, Ehud, Shamgar, Deborah, Gideon, Tola, Jephthah, Ezbon, Abdon, Samson. Now those are the judges we see in the book of Judges. I would add two more judges to that if we're talking about all the judges throughout history. I would also include Eli as a judge over Israel. I'm mostly sure the Bible lists him as a judge specifically in 1 Samuel, but I would have to double check that to be sure. And then, of course, Samuel himself. I would also list in that same list. And then we see Christ in the book, as we were talking about a second ago, with the with the judges. And the judges were interesting because some of them played more than one role. And you'll see this a lot of times throughout the Old Testament, where someone will play two roles in a picture of Jesus. You might have a person who's a prophet and a priest. You might have a person who's a priest and a king. Um, the the man that Abraham uh, paid his tithes to, uh, Melchizedek, was a king. was also a priest. You've never seen anybody, though, who's all three. You never see prophet, priest, and king, which is why um, Saul's sin was so egregious. Because he had prophesied and he was king. So when he went to go perform the priestly duty of making a sacrifice to the Lord, uh, he broke that vow and took for himself the title of all three, which only belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of the judges, as we were talking about a second ago, were priests, some were rulers, and some were prophets. And so you see many times they talk about holding two offices at the same time. And so in the book of Judges, as I was mentioning before, we see some very unique, very peculiar things. And the one thing that 
we see is the form of government in the book of Judges. What they have is known as a theocracy. Okay, now you've heard of a monarchy, you've heard of a democracy. This is a theocracy, right? Because their king, and God says this himself in 1 Samuel, their king was not those judges. Their rulers were not those judges. Their ruler was God himself. And he ruled and he governed through the judges and through the priests and through the prophets. But he was their leader. He was their king. And then they wanted to change that. They wanted a king like all the other cool nations. They wanted to completely change from a theocracy to a monarchy. And that's what happened. And we see that decision is the reason that Israel as a whole begins to spiral downward like we see in our Sunday school class. For more details, check that out on our Facebook page, The Faith Baptist. But a theocracy is basically that. It's a government that's ruled by God himself directly. That is the best form of government. People talk about the best form of government. And uh, there's a lot of people that are um, more liberal thinking, extremely liberal thinking people who think like communist uh, would be the best form of government. Personally, I don't adhere to that because um, it's been tried many times and has never worked. I mean, on paper, many of its concepts seem like they might be good ideas, you know, uh, share everything, divide it up. But in practicality, it just doesn't work. And then, of course, democracy isn't without its flaws as well. I feel like our democracy has enough checks and balances where we don't have to worry about one man becoming too corrupt. Even the president of the United States can only be so for eight years at the most. Most of the time, four. And then he's stepped down. Somebody else takes that office. And so I feel like democracy might be uh, a bad option, except for all the other options we've ever tried in history before. Because we can't have a theocracy, right? We, we don't have God booming down from heaven, telling everybody what to do, enforcing his own laws like only God can. And since we don't have a theocracy as an option, our democracy is the best possible option we have. Our democracy was inspired by a lot of deep thinkers. There was a lot of philosophical thinking and a lot of studies of other governments that went into the formation of our own country. Many checks and balances from our forefathers looking down the road to make sure that corrupt politicians can't destroy the lives of the rest of us. So what we see in Judges is something truly unique and special and amazing. It's a form of government run by the Almighty Himself. And can be such a wonderful thing if they'd have just taken advantage of it like they could have. And you think, man, what a missed opportunity to let God be your government and then just have this cycle of disobedience over and over and over again. But the fact of the matter remains is that we do the same thing in our own lives. We have God, the Holy Spirit, residing within us. He's living directly within our being. Every single day, we have the opportunity to let God guide our every move, our every step. We have our own personal, individual theocracy in our own private life every single day. And yet, we rarely take advantage of it like we should either. 
So if you take nothing else from this today, I hope you will learn uh, the story of failure through compromise in the book of Judges. Don't compromise your relationship with the Lord. Don't be apathetic. Uh, don't give half measures. Take advantage of having the Holy Spirit, having the Word of God, and being able to have a relationship with the Lord. And if you do those things, that will make you truly happy. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we will see you next week.